Wisdom Podcast. This is your host, Justin Dora. And today we're going to hit a variety of topics that are kind of more the the ones that people don't talk about. I shouldn't say people don't talk about uh, because there are people that talk about them uh, in the streams of what does it mean to live by the grace of God. Uh, but they're just not the most popular topics and... Um, those that do talk about them usually talk about them in a way that's super not fun. <laughs> so I want to talk today about uh, repentance, godly sorrow, grieving the Holy Spirit. <laughs> Just light topics for your afternoon listening pleasure. And I do have to say, uh, today I am recording for the first time on a new microphone that's actually set up for a podcast Uh if you saw my setup in the past, you would realize how ghetto rigged this operation really is. All that to say, uh, the, the mic is quite hot, and I might uh, create unintended sounds with bumping into things as I talk. And I'm still a little under the weather, so sorry for the nasally voice that you hear, but oh well, we'll all get over it together. So... Let's dive into this topic. I don't even know I'm going to call it maybe the tough topics, maybe the what about question mark. Not sure yet. But let me start by saying, what does the word repentance actually mean? Now, I just wrote a blog post on this, but I haven't put it in a podcast uh, recently, or if I have, I don't remember. So there you go. Um, and the word repentance is two in the Greek. It's two words. It's meta, which means um, change and mind, or I'm sorry, noose, which is, uh, mind. So meta noose, metanoia is the word for repent. And what the word actually means is to radically change your mind. Now with a real shift in the way you view things, a real change in your mindset, your actions and your emotions, they do follow that. The, the trouble is, what happens often when we talk about repentance, even today, I hear people say all the time, yes, it's a radical change of mind that comes with a change of actions, or that it's a radical change of direction. It's your lifestyle changing. And ultimately, that's true, but it begins with the way you think. And if we try to merely change our behavior as a means to change, to repent, then what happens is we still think all the messed up thoughts. We try to do the new actions. They work against each other. We burn out. We quit. And we say, yeah, I tried that thing. It doesn't work. The truth is you tried a mixed message and that definitely doesn't work. And then you hear sometimes people say, well, repentance is um, it, it's grief over sin. And the problem with that is that's not what the word means. Uh, sorrow over sin is called godly sorrow. And there is something to godly sorrow, even in the new covenant, even in grace. But it's not, uh, it's not bad news. It's actually really good news. And, and then grieving the Holy Spirit. What does it mean to grieve the Holy Spirit? People are so nervous about that phrase. But the more I've discovered... Uh, what Ephesians uh, 4.30 is getting at, and I think what the New Testament is talking about related to our relationship with God, the more grieving the Holy Spirit is not necessarily a goal of mine by any stretch of the imagination, 
but it is actually really encouraging and life-giving and even though it's correcting and even though it may not feel good quote unquote so another thing that i have picked up on over time is i've recognized when you talk about these ideas people get offended and typically one of the reasons that they get offended is because you challenge their experiences and now that you're challenging their experiences they're, they take it as you're challenging their understanding of God or their relationship with God as if their relationship with God has been a sham this whole time. And in no way am I saying that their relationship with God is a sham, but what I am saying is maybe your understanding of your experiences is wrong. <laughs> just to say it bluntly, okay? I'll just be blunt. Uh And so really what repentance is, it's reinterpreting what repentance, I should say, includes is reinterpreting our experiences to match up with God's character as revealed through the scriptures. So, in other words, you may have really heard God say something that was corrective in the past, but because your mindsets were so tainted with law and performance, what you heard wasn't what God said, even though technically it's what he said. If I haven't confused you yet, uh, just hold on because we'll get there to more confusion to come. <laughs> I love when people say that God is not the author of confusion. And yet, in the book of Genesis, related to the Tower of Babel, it says, And then God came among them and confused their language. And I've actually found that God doesn't mind confusing you if confusing you is going to prevent you from doing something stupid. So... Let's be careful before we say God doesn't author confusion. Now, he's not trying to mess with you in the sense of he changes who he is one day to the next and he's always tricking you, but he doesn't mind you being a little confused so that you'll stop trying to figure him out and start trusting him as a father and a, as a son or a daughter would to a father. That was a freebie. That was good. Um, so... We have to realize that uh, recently I had a conversation with someone who challenged that uh, being angry over stuff is uh, the nature of God, and I just kind of laughed. and And um, and my response to that was, um, "You can't take an Old Testament view of God into the New Testament." And you know, the scripture can be thrown right back in my face that says. Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, and forever. It's found in the book of Hebrews, and that is a true statement. He is the same yesterday, today, and forever. However, I am a new creation, and the old is gone, and the new has come. I cannot relate to God out of the old creation any longer. I am a new creation. I am fully new. Have a full, I have a new mind. I have a new heart. I have God's spirit that causes me to obey. That's Ezekiel 36, 26 and 27 or thereabouts. And the whole thing is, yes, God is unchanging and truth is unchanging. But there's a reason why the scripture tells us to renew our mind because we are always changing. It doesn't mean the truth changes. It doesn't mean God changes. It does mean our perception of the truth or our perception of God is changing. It's upgrading. It's it's being transformed. Hopefully we're seeing it more and more clearly within us, within others, and we're we're speaking to the identity of Christ in people. And and when that happens there is life that's released in our experiences, and it's wonderful. 
So my encouragement as we talk about these subjects and even looking at my time, I'm already at eight minutes. My goodness. I don't know if I'll finish today, but if not, again, we'll just do what we've been doing and we will make this a multi-part teaching. But my hope is that um, by talking about repentance, godly sorrow, and grieving the Holy Spirit, I'm not trying to do away with your previous experiences. What I want to do is help you see them with fresh eyes. See them, hopefully, uh, more in alignment with what the Scriptures reveals about the nature and character of God. Uh, I'm not trying to cut parts out of the Bible. I'm not trying to tiptoe around the difficult scriptures. I'm just reading them through the lens of Jesus. I'm reading them through the lens of grace. I'm reading them through the lens of my identity in Christ and a new creation. And it doesn't mean they're irrelevant, but it does change the way I interact with those passages and the way they reveal the nature and character of God. Jesus said, uh, if you've seen me, you've seen the Father. So Jesus is the perfect representation of the nature and character of God. And a lot of the things that we say God is like, that we get from the Old Testament, the problem is I don't see them in the life of Jesus, who most clearly reveals the Father. And actually on the cross is his most clear representation of what God is like. It's it's when when when. Jesus was hanging on the cross. That is the most clear representation of the nature and character of God towards those that were uh, in bondage to sin. The way God deals with sinners is he dies on a cross for them. He doesn't judge and, and condemn them. And if, if someone refuses to receive his grace and refuses to receive his life, well, they're, they're going to reap their, the consequence of their decision, not because God's frustrated, but because they're dumb in all love. Okay. <sighs> okay, I'm just looking at my notes here just to see uh, what else I wanted to say. Let me, I'll just say it this way again. Um, so sometimes when we hear things about the grace of God, we can think that grace is invalidating our experiences. And actually, it might be. <laughs> I guess I should say that, that grace actually might invalidate some things you think God said that he didn't say, that religion told you, or that man's opinion told you. And it wasn't the voice of God. Um, but sometimes, and more often, I would say, grace just reinterprets our experiences. Yes, God did correct you, but it wasn't because he's angry. It wasn't because he's mad. It's because he so loves you. He doesn't want you to keep hurting yourself. He doesn't want you to keep going around the mountain over and over again. He actually wants you to move forward and enjoy and grow up. Enjoy your life and grow up into the full stature of your identity in Christ. And that's good news. So let's talk about godly sorrow. Uh, let me just go ahead and read the passage that this comes from. And actually, I can tell you that uh, we'll pick up grieving the Holy Spirit and uh, wrapping this up probably next time because I don't think I'm going to get as far as I had planned. So let's go to 2 Corinthians chapter 7, I believe. Chapter 7. I'm going to read verse 8 through 13. It says, even if I regret, I'm sorry, even if I caused you sorrow by my letter, I do not regret it, though I did regret it. I see that my letter hurt you, but only for a little while. 
Yet now I am happy, not because you were made sorry, but because your sorrow led you to repentance. For you became sorrowful as God intended, and so were not harmed in any way by us. Godly sorrow brings repentance that leads to salvation and leaves no regret, but worldly sorrow brings death. See what this godly sorrow has produced. What earnestness, what eagerness to clear yourselves, what indignation, what alarm, what longing, what concern, what readiness to see justice done. At every point you have proved yourselves to be innocent in this matter. So even though I wrote to you, it was not on account of the one who did the wrong or of the injured party, but rather that before God you could see for yourselves how devoted to us you are. By all this we are encouraged. So here's the thing with godly sorrow. Godly sorrow is not based in God disapproving or distancing himself from you and because of your actions. Many people think godly sorrow is God removing himself from you, lifting off of you, so that you will get the picture and get the point that he is upset with your behavior and your choices. But I, I'm sorry, that is not biblical. That is dualist. That's a dualist way of thinking, separatist, uh, separation thinking. But Jesus, uh, the scripture says of Jesus and his death and resurrection that he united us. He brought us into union with himself and his death and resurrection. Now, by his doing, I am forever united with God. If I sin, I do not lose my union with God ever. What it does is it hurts me and it dulls my senses to who he is. Therefore, godly sorrow is God expressing sorrow in our union so that I will recognize my new heart and my new mind have been violated by an action that no longer is congruent with who I really am. Godly sorrow is not God disappointed with me. Godly sorrow is God bringing me into his grieving heart that I recognize those actions don't honor him and they don't honor me any longer. They're no, they don't fit me anymore. I've outgrown them. I forgot who I was. So godly sorrow reminds me and roots me back into my innocence in Christ. It brings encouragement. It brings passion. It brings hope all over again. That is, the, that is the essence of godly sorrow. Godly sorrow happens only because we are in union with God. And we feel that sorrow over sin, not because we've been rejected because of our bad behavior, but because God reveals his heart united with ours in the event that just happened. We begin to experience and feel what he feels, we think what he thinks, we know what he knows. And it's good news. And actually, I've made a decision, I'm going to just keep going here, and we'll just have a longer version of a podcast today. So grieving the Holy Spirit is what we just talked about with godly sorrow. Ephesians 4.30 says this, and do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God with who you were sealed for the day of redemption. Get rid of all bitterness, rage, and anger, brawling, and slander, along with every form of malice. 
be kind and compassionate to one another, forgiving each other, just as Christ and God, just as in Christ God forgave you. Grieving the Holy Spirit is not does not happen because God gets angry and tries to correct us, but it happens because He gets vulnerable to reveal the effect, the way our actions affected Him in our relationship. He's revealing what happens to him, to others, and even to ourselves. Guys, sin isn't something that I ever try to make light of, like, oh, it's just sin. It's, it's, it'll kill you. The wages of sin is death. The scripture's clear. But the antidote isn't fearing sin. The antidote to, to living a life of holiness is feasting on Jesus and what he's done. When your mind and your heart are renewed in the spirit of God, then you are focused on the person of Jesus. Jesus said, if your eye is full of light, your whole body is full of light. What And what does that tell us? What we focus on affects how we feel, affects how we act. It, where we put our eyes, so to speak, will affect the rest of us. Our, our mind, our will and emotions. So we have to realize that grieving the Holy Spirit, it's not something that we like aspire to like hey i'm just going to grieve the holy spirit but it's recognizing that grief is god being vulnerable with us i remember walking with friends who were in places of deep pain and making poor decisions and i remember being in tears on the phone saying saying i, I don't know how to help i don't know what to do and i just started to unpack how what was happening to me as I heard what was happening to them. I became vulnerable in the moment. And that wasn't because I'm superhuman. It was the Spirit of God teaching me what it means to, re to correct in grief and not in anger. It was teaching me how to let my heart be vulnerable before those that are hurting it, hurting me. Let them see where it's causing pain because of the because what happened is the desire for relationship was stronger than the desire to go their own way, and I can say honestly today, I have a great relationship with with the people that I walk through in that season, but I remember being on the phone, and this verse came to mind. It's becoming vulnerable, is revealing grief and God does that as the way to correct us he doesn't put us under his thumb to get us to do what he wants he shows us his heart and it draws us with kindness to repent to change our perspective and honestly the thing that I've watched is often people make light of the work of Jesus when it comes to our understanding of God's character related to grief, sorrow, and repentance. They make God out to be this monster that he's not. And they they look they they forget what Jesus accomplished. I love what it says in Romans eight, twenty nine through thirty nine. I'm not gonna read it. You can go read it yourself. But it makes this statement, if God is for us, who 
can be against us. And that's not a conditional if. It's like a conclusion. Because God is for us, who can be against us? And that whole passage includes language like, those he predestined, he also called. Those he called, he also justified. Those he justified, he also glorified. If, because God is for us, who can be against us? And it's almost like you can see in Paul's heart, he's just yelling out, guys, you've got to realize God is for you. I know that you didn't think that was the case, but I'm telling you, he's for you. He's so emphasizing God being for you, not to the exclusion that God corrects us, but to create a foundation that even in his correction, we recognize that his correction comes because he's for us, not because he's mad at us, not because he's against us, not because he wants to change us. He's already done it in Christ and he's wanting to reveal it to us. That's why Paul says, I pray you'd have a spirit of wisdom and revelation in the knowledge of him that you might know the hope to which you've been called, the glo- his glorious inheritance in the saints. God's inheritance is not measured in silver and gold. God's inheritance is measured in you and in me and in the world at large. People are the inheritance of God. That's what he thinks about. That's what his heart beats for, is people recognizing what he's done, awakening to that, letting the old identity fall off and letting the new life of Jesus emerge and awaken and grow and expand, that they might start treating people like Jesus treated people. And we might be able to say, as Jesus said, if you've seen me, you've seen the Father. Jesus said, you will do greater things than these. And he promised that his Father, the Spirit, and himself would make his home in us. That's not saying we are the Father. It's not saying we are God. But it is saying I'm made in his image and in his likeness. I reveal him through my words and actions by his grace through what Jesus accomplished. We've got to realize God's for us. He, he doesn't do rejection. God is not in the rejection business. He's in the acceptance business. Even if you reject his acceptance, he will not reject you. That doesn't mean he won't correct you. But you know what's so funny? You know how God corrects us? He corrects us with his character. So God's patient. So when we're impatient, you know how he corrects you? He just starts uploading, downloading, whatever loading, (laughs) a revelation of patience so that you start catching patience as a person. When you're not walking in love, you know what he does? He just starts to emphasize love. He starts loving you. It shakes all that stuff off of you and helps you settle into who he is. When you're griping and complaining, you know what he does? He just begins to emerge these desires in you for thankfulness, for rejoicing. That's how God corrects you. He uses the fruit of the Spirit to offset your immature behavior. And that's good news. His goal is to help you realize you've been reconciled. You're in union. 
so you can let him live his life through you. And we can actually see the world turned upside down. And it's really good news, guys. So, pulling it all together. Don't fear the tough passages of Scripture or the tough areas of what it looks like the, the nature and character of God is. Filter it through His character as revealed in Jesus, grace and truth. And again, truth is not the bad side of grace. It is... It, it liberates us and it's empowered by grace. Don't assume that certain passages are irrelevant because they don't make sense. Ask the Holy Spirit to give you illumination. How do they come together, God? How does godly sorrow, how does grieving the Holy Spirit, how does that work in the operation of the grace of God? So good questions to ask. And view any passage in the whole counsel of God. Don't isolate a passage and get weird. View it in the whole counsel of God. Which is just, where does it fit in the big picture, the big story of what the scripture reveals about God and who he is. So Jesus, I thank you for the grace of God. And I just ask for everyone who hears this podcast this week and in the weeks to come, God, may they have an awakening to your nature and your character. May they see you for who you are. May they not resist that, those words, correction, grief, and godly sorrow, but may they see them through the lens of Jesus, through the lens of His grace, through the lens of, his, of, the, of their new identity in Christ. And may it liberate and transform and accelerate people and their development in you. And it's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen. Thanks, everyone, for listening to the Wisdom Podcast. If you liked what you heard, leave us a review on iTunes, and iTunes will recommend this podcast to others. Thanks, everyone, and take care. Mm-hmm.